This is the Unity Community of Central Oregon podcast. Totally awesome. That's maybe the best version I've ever heard of that. And having grown up Christian, I've heard a lot of that kind of thing. Um, I'm going to go a little off script. To st- I'm Sylvia Hayes, by the way. I'm filling in, honored to fill in for Jane while she is delivering the talk in Portland. Um, uh, and I'm going to go a little off script in two things. First of all, Unity is very inclusive, and you can, th- I've heard it said somewhere that you can be almost any other faith and still be Unity. So what I was, pre- I can't believe I'm actually doing the most kind of conventional Christmas talk we're going to get, but I am. There's a story to that. But before that, I, I came up with a discussion question that was asked, you know, what's your best or most meaningful Christmas story? And as a Buddhist, I was up here, we were discussing, and she said, well, I'm not really sure what you mean. She's like, my mind immediately went to that movie where the kid pokes his eye out or something, (laughs) the Christmas story. And I had to laugh because even the fact that I would just put that question out there and kind of assume people would go where I go, where I go, do you go where I go? Um, um, that just show, it shows our own assumptions, right? So I loved that. And then I also want to tag on, before I get into my talk mode, I want to tag on as the vice president of our board to what um, Claire shared, because it's really, it, I really resonated with that. The whole lack and, and fear and stress around finance has been one of my biggest challenges until recently as well. Um, and Unity has been so unbelievably useful for me in releasing that garbage and realizing that divine substance is actually my source, not just any one job or check or whatever. But I want to share a little story because one of the last ministerial classes that I took this last term um, was on prosperity. And it, was a, it, it, had a, it had a requirement for tithing. And tithing is a weird word for many of us. But I've come to realize that tithing is just basically being sure that you're continuously and intentionally in flow with income that comes in. And it can also include time and other things. But this was intentional, like 10% of income. And at the beginning, and I had, I had been, I'm a regular giver here and elsewhere, but I hadn't really been paying attention to exactly how much, right? Um, and so we, at the beginning of this class, we were to set a prosperity intention statement and keep it on our fridge. And the, they're like, what do you, and the thing that popped into my mind was $43 million. And I don't know where, but you know, it popped into my mind. So I'm like, why not? Let's put it, that's still on the fridge. The teacher came back and said, that's really awesome and aspirational. And why don't you also include something that might be a step toward it? Um, <laughs> so I put, um, $15,000, because between the, the start of that class and the end of that class, the ten, the 10 weeks, because that would actually be an amount that would be super helpful to what I had going at that time, a little business adventure and whatever. Uh, the class ended, and I had plenty of prosperity. I was just doing great, and I had been tithing re- very regularly and keeping track of that. And um, a couple weeks ago, so when COVID first hit, I'm a small business owner, and when COVID first hit, I applied for some of the stimulus funding through the, there's a little program called the EIDL, was a COVID disaster release for small business, and I was denied that, that funding. Oh well, I made it through anyway, things were working. Um, but a couple weeks ago, I got uh, um, an email from the Small Business Association saying, 
we think that you actually are in a region that qualifies for the next round of this. So I went ahead and filled out the application. They already had my information. I thought I was applying for this little $5,000 chunk, which would have been great. I actually wound up applying. They, you automatically applied for the $5,000 and the $10,000. And I got $15,000 dropped into my business checking account, just like that. And then when you're in a tithing and flow, then it's like, wow, okay, 10% of that to give away feels big, right? Also feels awesome. That's what I have to say. Funding uh, a GoFundMe campaign, the beauty of that is when we give, especially when it's a little bit of a stretch, it's a reminder that we can. It's a reminder that we actually have the resource and capacity to do that. So anyway, Claire, thank you for inspiring me. I'm going to talk about what I'm supposed to talk about today now. Um, uh, uh, and I'm going to be a little more on my notes than I usually am just because it's been a pretty challenging week. But the Christmas story. So that, that story holds epic, epic hold in most, in most of um, Western culture. And most commonly from those of us from a conventional background, um, conventional Christian background, the Christmas story really is about this virgin mother who gets somehow impregnated by an aspect of God, the immaculate conception, winds up going on an ep epic journey, having a baby in a manger full of animals because there were no inns in Bethlehem, and of course the baby is Jesus. Now, in a literal sense, it's a big story in our culture. I don't believe it was ever intended to be interpreted literally. Uh, kind of as Donna alluded to, between November 1st and December 31st, there are at least 28 official holidays, and almost all of them have to do with light and with bringing light back into darkness. It's also the time of the solstice, which is what I personally prefer. It's our, it's our longest, darkest night, and then we head back toward the light in the seasons of this planet. The story of Christmas, I believe, is the story of the, the evolving consciousness of humanity, of, of humanity coming back to the recognition of the light within ourselves. Carl Jung has called these kind of stories the stories of humanity. Mary is often put forward, I can't believe I'm talking to y'all about Mary. Um, <laughs> this, is never, this is something that I would not have done even two years ago. Mary is often put forward as having um, importance because she gives birth to Jesus, who's the really important one. But as I've studied unity more and really stepped more into the metaphysical approach to um, these stories and these characters, I think she's really fascinating uh, character in and of her own right. She was someone who believed deeply that they needed a Messiah, and she decided that she when this thing happened to her, and whether she had sex with a person or not, who knows, you know, who knows. Um, by the way, the, the word virgin in Hebrew simply means unmarried. It has nothing to do with the other. But that's the least interesting part of the story to me. She believed that we needed a Messiah, and she believed enough in it that she was able to go on this journey. She was able to step outside of the laws of man and cultural programming that was no doubt telling her, you're a naughty bad person, and it's crazy for you to take off like this, and you know, it's just a baby, whatever. She stepped outside of that. She had a spiritual 
calm, a groundedness, a knowing that guided her in that path. Now, I've mentioned many times the author, the late Walter Lanyon, who is one of my favorite early New Thought teachers. Look him up, it's really worth it. Um, he challenges you, boy. Um, he, he puts forward the, the mother of Jesus as an example of virginal mindset. Um, a virginal mindset. So think of it, I like to think of it this way. When we let our ego, and when I talk about ego, I'm talking about it really from kind of a Course in Miracles perspective. It's a set of, it's a construct. It's a set of beliefs that, and stories that we tell ourselves about our own identity and about our world. It's our human level of thinking. And when we let ego step into our driver's seat, our mind can become adulterous. It runs here and there having affairs with all kinds of idols, right? Affairs with fear and with lack and with anger and with stress. And, and when that is happening, we're not in our spiritual power. Mary was able somehow, with, despite all the crazy appearances before her, to stay in a place of not giving in to an adulterous mind. She stayed in virginal mindset. And we, by the way, when we are in that egoic thinking, that adulterous mindset, running around having affairs with all, usually the affairs of our lives in this earthly realm also suffer, right? That mindset can make messes of things. Uh, I've actually heard, and I think, I think we recently had, um, Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. speak here, and I believe he mentioned that a lot of folks who talk about this cultural and societal programming that we get bombarded with, that it's actually a colonization of our minds. It's a colonization of our actual, our actual free will and power. Um, and in fact, Eckhart Tolle once said that ego identification is a monstrous act of reductionism, which I think is fabulous. I actually think one of the main parts, one of the main purposes of this human part of our journey is to, is to remember our true identities, to begin to reduce and at least tame ego and step more into the truth of us as powerful, powerful spiritual beings. Mary is an example of someone who had tremendous courage in stepping into a journey that was not accepted at that time. She was someone who, who knew she was ready to birth something magnificent, something that the world needed, and she put away the laws of man, man stepped into divine truth, and went on her journey. She opened up to a revelation that led to an elevation into virginal mindset. And I think, you know, maybe it was immaculate conception. Immaculate means pure, flawless. That's all it means. We are all ideas in the mind of God. We are all an immaculate conception. Think about that. Are you grokking that? We are divine, we are ideas in divine mind by our very nature. We are immaculately conceived. Mary, whether human intercourse was involved or not, Mary was so aware of oneness, of presence, and possibility 
that she actually manifested something that has had phenomenal, profound impact on humanity and our world. And I would suggest to you, to each one of us, not only are we immaculate conceptions, but we are absolutely empowered to, to, to birth immaculate conceptions into this world, into our lives and into this world, right now, at this time, when we need it. We are immaculately conceived and we are birthers of immaculate conceptions. Now I wanna shift gears a little bit and talk about another Mary. Here's another Bible thing I'm doing. Um, and she, she's my favorite. This is Mary Magdalene. Uh, and she is, in modern Christendom, probably the most controversial character in the Bible. And I actually believe that how the Bible depicts or fails to depict her is one of the most obvious examples of how its architects manipulated narrative to try to lay down certain, certain narratives and certain norms. Mary, or the Magdalene, if she is, some, uh, she is sometimes called, she's put forward in the Bible as a prostitute at one point, as demon-possessed at another point. In fact, in the year 591, Pope Gregory officially, publicly declared her a prostitute. Now, it makes you wonder what was going on in 591 that he thought that was a strategic move, right? Maybe, maybe that, this divine feminine, maybe they were sensing the power perhaps there and afraid of it, trying to keep that suppressed. Although the Bible diminishes her, it even records the fact that she was present at Jesus' uh, death and burial and that he, she is the first one the resurrected Jesus appears to. And it, and it, and it kind of reads like it was by design. I was fascinated to learn and, and raise your hand if you know this, Mary Magdalene wrote a gospel. How many of you knew that? I think this is so fascinating, y'all. It's in the, it's in the, it's in the, what they call the, it's the body of Gnostic gospels. Hers is actually found in uh, the Berlin Gnostic Codex, which was discovered in 1896. Chunks of it are missing, but it's a, it's a, it was, it really caused a stir because what she put forward painted a whole different picture from what the official church had painted about who the apostles were and how they worked. She wrote about some of the actual teachings that Jesus delivered to the group of apostles of which she was a central part, by the way. She was like, I'll get to that. Um, uh, but these are, the, these are the, the conversations that apparently they had between the time that Jesus resurrected and then ascended off the planet. These are, the, this is her version of what, I think, the, I think it's Luke and John, anyway, books that are in the Bible called the Upper Room Conversations. And I'm gonna just read you a few excerpts from um, the Gospel of Mary. She writes, the Savior said, all nature, all formations, all creatures exist in and with one another, and they will be resolved again into their own roots. Peter said to him, since you've explained everything to us, tell us this also. What is the sin of the world? The Savior, Jesus, in this sense, said, there is no sin, but it is you who make sin when you do the things that are like the nature of adultery, which is called sin. That is why the good came into, into your midst, to the essence of every nature, in order to restore it to its root. 
Now at this point in the book, um, Jesus tells him to go forth and preach the gospel of the kingdom, with a capital K, and he leaves them. The book of Mary next goes on, but they were grieved. They wept greatly, saying, how shall we go to the Gentiles and preach the gospel of the kingdom of the Son of Man? If they did not spare him, what are they gonna do to us, right? Mary, then Mary stood up, greeted them all, and said to her brethren, do not weep and do not grieve nor be irresolute, for his grace will be entirely with you and will protect you. But rather, let us praise his greatness, for he has prepared us and made us into men. When Mary said this, she turned their hearts to the good, and they began to discuss the words of the Savior. Peter said to Mary, Sister, we know that the Savior loved you more than the rest of women. Tell us the words of the Savior which you remember, which you know, but we do not, nor have we heard them. Mary answered and said, What is hidden from you, I will proclaim to you. And she began to speak to them these words. I, she said, I saw the Lord in a vision and said unto him, Lord, I saw you today in a vision. He answered and said to me, blessed are you that did not waver at the sight of me, for where the mind is, there is the treasure. I said to him, Lord, how does he who sees the vision see it through the soul or through the spirit? The Savior answered, he doesn't see it through the soul or the spirit, but the mind that is between the two, that is what sees the vision. Now, several of the next pages in her book are missing, um, and, sh- and where it picks up, she describes this powerful vision that she had uh, of and with Jesus. And the next part is when the apostles, the men, all the rest of them are men in this, in this group, are silent for a second after she shares this vision, and then this happens. But Andrew answered and said to the brethren, say what you wish to say about what she has said. I at least do not believe that the Savior said this, for certainly these teachings are strange ideas. Peter answered and spoke concerning the same things. He questioned them about the Savior. Did he really speak privately with a woman and not openly to us? Are we to turn about and all listen to her? Did he prefer her to us? Then Mary wept, and I'm almost done, and said to Peter, my brother Peter, what do you think? Do you think that I've thought this up by myself in my heart or that I'm lying about the Savior? Levi answered and said, Peter, you have always been hot-tempered. Now I see you contending against the woman like the adversaries. But if the Savior made her worthy, who are you indeed to reject her? Surely the Savior knows her very well. That is why he loved her more than us. Rather, let us be ashamed and put on the perfect man and separate as he commanded us and preach the gospel, not laying down other rule or law beyond what the Savior said. And when they heard this, they began to go forward and proclaim and to preach. Not, your, not what we hear in the normal Bible story, right? There's something about Mary. <laughs> something about... It is widely suggested now that Mary Magdalene actually got Jesus' teachings, the truth of what he was trying to convey, at a level that was deeper than the other apostles. That's what's kind of widely widely held now. Um, And although her book has never been officially recognized, in 2016, the Vatican declared Mary Magdalene apostle to the apostles, their equal, and the first one to start sharing the message of resurrected Jesus. I find the Magdalene to be another 
example of virginal mind. She was so subsumed by spiritual truth that she defied convention and she, and she stepped into a knowing that was probably very dangerous to her and was able to really convey some of these powerful spiritual truths. As more become, has become known about her, she's actually become something of a kind of a feminine icon, an example of, of the divine feminine energy, creativity, sensuality, intuition guided by profound faith that has really been very suppressed in patriarchal Western thinking, but interestingly, they can't keep it down. They can't, you can't keep the divine feminine down, right? It's, a, it's the, the divine feminine is the powerful partner to a healthy masculine, the divine masculine. It's more collaborative, it's restorative, it defies convention, it's greatly needed. And we all have masculine and feminine no matter what is in our pants. Um, It's a spiritual thing, it is not a a genetic or a biological thing. so Gnosis, she's also a central figure in the Gnostic Gospels. And Gnosis is basically about, it's about the steady, persistent move toward taming of the ego. It's also more mystical. It's about the, the revelatory knowing of truth, spiritual truth, that unites body, mind, and spirit moving forward. And by the way, um, Anyone interested in Mary Magdalene, this is the book that I have found most interesting, The Meaning of Mary Magdalene, and it's by Cynthia Borjolt. Uh, There's a lot of really interesting stuff way beyond what I can share in this talk today. Charles Fillmore, one of the founders of Unity, actually interpreted Mary Magdalene as showing that when we go through the crucifixion of ego, a purified soul is, is always there, constantly present to see it through. This is why we practice, right? We practice to try to purify our souls, to get to the point where when stuff does bubble up in the, in the, in the human earthly realm, we have the spiritual poise to handle it to great outcome, to allow great outcome to come through. Fillmore also interpreted Jesus' mother, Mary, as the soul that prepares itself for the higher life, the virgin mother a soul preparing itself for higher life, for higher mind action, and living in a higher dimension. Many of the spiritual pathways talk about, share about the the idea of Christ consciousness, of Christos. It way predates Christianity, and it is not Jesus' last name, it's Christos, it, it's, this, it's this consciousness, this, this, this presence, this awareness that's available to all of us. And awareness of that Christ consciousness, I believe, is virginal mind. The purified soul, the virginal soul, that's the goal. That's what we're after. This is why we meditate. 
It's why we pray. To Claire's point, it's why we come together to gain this power collectively where two or more are gathered, we are more powerful, right? It's why for some of us we get out into nature and hug trees for real, right? That whatever we do that helps us get into the awareness of oneness, the truth of who we are. It's also why we study, and it's why we consider what, what applications to our own lives do these stories and metaphors have. This time of year, for most of us, um, the, the metaphors that are really kind of front and center are conception, birth, obviously again, returning to the light. Human beings don't just conceive children. We conceive new civilizations. We don't just get pregnant with babies. We get pregnant with great ideas for our own lives and for our world. We don't just gestate a new life form in the form of a child. We gestate great ideas. We don't just labor to bring forth a newborn. We labor to bring forth historical movements. That's happening now. And we don't just give birth to children. We give birth to new versions of ourselves. That's the spiritual pathway, right? That's the journey. The purified virginal mind is a consciousness that transcends the working of human-only mind. It's, it, it, it's an entering into what we truly actually are, not just who we are, what we are, as powerful spiritual beings, always with light available to us. There is a great, great light in each one of you. And this holiday season, I just encourage you to clear space on the altars of your minds and light the candles that are already there and shine them more brightly into our world. May you reclaim virginal mind and step into the full power of your true selves. Merry Christmas. <laughs>